0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Uh, let's start with a moment of silence, uh, but first some, and then the serenity prayer, with some um, breathing in and out. And by the way, I'm Harvey Asher, the sexaholic. I've been sexually sober 36 years and nine months, uh, one day at a time. Uh, Let's do some deep breathing and exhaling. Serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Um, for those who have just come on, uh, although I won't be continuing this, uh, Malcolm will be on a series for meditation 11 step meditation, and it will be a three, four week series that will begin an hour earlier so that uh, Europe and Asia could go to bed earlier (laughs) if they'd like. Um, Today is, um, last but not least, a article I wrote two years ago that probably is the most meaningful article I wrote for me. And I don't prepare for these talks, but I do read them out loud. Uh, a few hours ago, I read it out loud. I haven't read it you know, since I wrote it basically in a few years. And I started weeping towards the end of it when I read the last paragraph because it sums up my life in recovery and the spiritual awakenings we get. So I'm going to begin reading you this article. It's rather short. And then afterwards, uh, we will have a question and answers. The article is called, I thought I should be there, but I was exactly where I was supposed to be. I was asked to give an essay, Essanon workshop in Toronto. We were delighted to have the opportunity. This trip included a family event in St. Louis, so we decided to drive to St. Louis from Nashville and to the, through Niagara Falls, winding up in Toronto, Canada. This was a bit optimistic for a 79-year-old man, but sanity has never been one of my strong points. <laughs> it was a day and a half drive from St. Louis to Niagara Falls. Then we were off to Toronto. I, it went like clockwork. We checked into the hotel in Toronto and contacted the essay workshop representative. I sat down to meditate and realized I was having chest pain. How could this be happening to me? God had sent me to Toronto to help suffering sexaholics. I knew what was happening to me medically since I have gone through this before concerning chest pain. How could I disappoint so many people? The pain persisted. Nancy, we have to leave Toronto immediately to go to Buffalo since our health insurance will only cover USA costs. She had just unpacked our suitcases while I was meditating. Within minutes, she had to repack. We were back on the road heading to Buffalo. In the car, I called Dave H. from the Nashville area. Dave, do you have a passport ready? yes he said can you take off from work this friday yes he said i am heading to a hospital in buffalo please fly to toronto to substitute for me thank goodness his response was okay what a relief to know the canadians would still have a workshop given by a person with over 30 years sobriety. On the drive to Buffalo, I kept thinking, how could we, How could I have been so wrong to think God was keeping me well and healthy so I could pass the message of SA to people in Toronto? There, I was so disappointed in myself and disappointed in God that he was not extending my health. We arrived at the hospital in Buffalo. And yes, the next day I needed three stents placed in my carotid arteries. After the procedure, an employee of the hospital told my wife and myself that they they were afraid that their spouse were having an internet affair with someone from their past. Naturally, the employee told us this only after we had shared that we had been on our way to an SAS and on workshop. The next day being discharged, the employee came by my room to say goodbye. I said with my wife in the room, I'm going to say something that is probably inappropriate. Stop checking your spouse's internet personal pages. You will know if your spouse is having an affair eventually, but checking will only cause more division between you two. I have a feeling that this has been a pattern of yours since childhood. The employee appeared shocked and amazed and then shared the trauma that she experienced in her family growing up as a child. At that point, my wife and I had an S9 12-step mini meeting with the employee. During this time, we were speaking with her, the phone rang and it was a member in Iran Asking me to do a Skype workshop for their group in Iran. The employee left and the call was completed. My awakening then happened. I had it all wrong. God's will for me was to do service work, not in Toronto. It was for me to be in Buffalo, to help this employee who is in such pain. God's will for me was not for me to help a predominantly Christian and Jewish group of people in Toronto. God's will for me was to help a group of Muslims on the other side of the world. I realized I used the teacup size of a brain to figure out such an enormous power, how humble I felt at that moment. Yes, I thought I should be in Toronto, but I was exactly where I was supposed to be in Buffalo, New York. Wherever we go, there we are bringing the joy of SA recovery to to others we will always be taken to the exact place where we're supposed to be. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I'm ready for questions and answers. (laughs)
2: You're only W, you're up. Stop. Caref- carefully unmute yourself and focus on the road.
3: <laughs> well, I used to act out while I was driving, so I got to do recovery while I was driving.
1: <laughs> well said. Um,
3: yeah, that's what my sponsor taught me. Wow, Harvey, I remember that story. And I also remember you were supposed to come to New York after that. To us and and I just felt like crying when you read when you read the story and it's just amazing. And I'm just stoned, like how I simply just want to say there's no more questions after this story. What other questions can there be? That's my question. After such a story. That's all I have to say. And thank you, Daniel, for everything you have done and for Malcolm putting this thing together. It's been a very big journey for me the last 12 months, uh, 12 weeks. Thank you. Thanks, you. Do
2: you want to respond, Harvey, or should we get to the next question?
1: I just forgot the second part. Well, <laughs> said it. A whole vacation plan to go to New York to drive from Toronto. But we drove home. <laughs> Recuperation. Um, it used to be on page 449, the AA book. I think they changed it now in what page. But in that section where it says, acceptance is the answer to all our problems today. And it says, there are no mistakes in God's world. I had just forgotten it, of that ride from Toronto to Buffalo. And I had to be reminded. Want to review what I've discussed in the past about this giant, um, oh, you know, one of those carpets, mosaics, And that a tapestry, this massive tapestry that people hang on their walls. But when you're making the tapestry, you only see the knots. Every now and then you get to go in front of the tapestry and you see this beautiful picture. Each day is a knot in the back of the tapestry. Every now and then, our spiritual awakenings is to go in front and see this magnificent picture, this masterpiece. and we're part of the masterpiece. If we had even missed one of those low life things I did, I would not have been ready for this life that is beyond description. How can you describe when it says a new freedom and a new happiness? I've said it before in past sessions. It's a new. We've never experienced it before. There's nothing to compare it to. Next question.
4: Thank you. Uh, go ahead Julian. Thank you. And thank you Harvey for this for this share. And uh, I guess my question is, and it's not really easy for me to put this into words, but uh, as my recovery continues, I discover more and more that my higher power, the God of my understanding, is not so much from the world of words, and concepts is so much more in the world of my feelings and experiences. I just I I just feel when when there is the, his presence in me. I find find him in me. And I know that you have similar experiences because we discussed this before. So I guess my question is in in that regard, in that light. How I, I actually can divide the what's my God's will for me from what from what's my will from me, except for just experiencing it, feeling it. Is there a way to actually understand, or is just the accepting what's coming?
1: Just thank you, Julian. Just this morning. I was reading something that, a book by Sandy Beach. Many of you have heard his talks in AA. Uh, He died not too long ago. And he said the whole program isn't about getting it something. It's about letting go. It's about letting go of old ideas. So over these many years, and by the way, that's what it says before you could do your steps in Chapter 5. We had to let go of old ideas. But I don't even know they're old ideas. You know, many of you are too young to remember before we had computers, and pro- we had projectors. They were like movie projectors except you put in this little slide, a little, little like card, and it had a negative of a photo, and you put it in and you'd see it on the screen. And Sandy B was saying, our whole lives are projecting these slides onto the screen, but none of the slides are real. They're made up stories in our head. The most fantastic for me way to see this is when we were children or at parties where you put five, six people in a row and you give the first person a little written message And she reads it or he reads it, and then he whispers it to the next person, who then whispers it to the next person. By the fifth or sixth person, it's an entirely different story. This is what I've done about things that happened to me 75, 80 years ago. Or if you're 30, what happened to you? (laughs) These are made up stories, made from certain kernels of truth. And they get magnified. They happen 30 years ago, 50 years ago. But by the time it gets the last person, it's magnified it's all i could see and then i projected onto you well you must be the same way that person was 50 years ago or so and it's all from our mind and this is not a philosophy
0: class here
1: <laughs> Where are we getting to? Lust. Lust lives in my mind. And my mind is not truth. It's just not. It's not bad, it's not good, it's just my perception of all the information that has been programmed into me. And I was trying to explain to a sponsee this morning about the importance of trying in the 11th step, you become able to witness your mind rather than a participate in your mind. You don't shame it, you don't say it's a bad thought or a good thought, you just say, wow, there's that thought again. Oh, I just addressed that person again. Oh, you're just observing it. And it loses its power. But what do we do with these thoughts? Oh, my God, I shouldn't have had him. And what kind of bad person am I? We've magnified a thought that would have automatically passed out within a moment into a major issue that every time we shame it, we're reliving it. (laughs) We're keeping it alive. So we keep the fantasy alive by shaming it. The ego loves shame. If you want to go shame it, go back to your synagogue, church, or mosque. If you want to shame it, go back there. They'll give you all the equipment you need. But it didn't work for us. Shaming ourselves didn't work for ourselves. It only made it worse. Yeah. Hi. Yeah.
5: Hi. Hi, Harvey. Yeah, I'm so happy also that I could join. And I will. I had a picture that uh, that we are like elephants on a big pond full of mud and 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 water and after a ride from the desert we come here and are refreshed you know I'm really refreshed but we all together in in here and um, and, and and listen to you and not only listen experience you your joy and your yeah whatever I can I, it's no words to say this and uh, of course i was also touched when you came to germany and there were lots of people getting sober after that and that is wonderful really i want to say it yeah and then um, i have this question you know of course i see this oh again and again i have a friend in sa a german uh, um, sister but when she comes and I see her, I'm so grungy. I, I'm resenting her, her talents. I'm resenting how she is, you know. And I, I exactly know that, that's bullshit. I know it. But always comes this in my heart, you know. Oh. And, and I said tonight already in in, in God's lap, you know, and talked with him. How can that be? again and again, you know, and, uh, and I told to my sponsor, and he said, she said, I should uh, talk to my little one girl, that I'm appreciated, and so on, and so on, because I think that's a projection, you know, that because I felt so self-loathing, I have to project it to another person that I'm getting rid of it. You know, is that true? You are you are <laughs> all right, <laughs> so that I'm on the spur. It's not only that I. Yeah, so then I can let go of it. I can get go of it bit by bit, you know, perhaps not all of at once, but bit by bit. Yeah, that is one thing. And the other thing I'm very touched by this story uh, You 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 read. And you experience because um you anyway, you you are able to help, you know, you are able to help. And this had to, you know, my first sponsees don't talk to me really because I was hurting them too much. <laughs> one one of my first sponsees, you know. I was like very rigid, and and she was not right, uh, she was is offended also. It's also it's also her side, but it was also my side. And uh, yeah, and after a time, I'm getting more, uh, um, yeah, I have no idea, perhaps, perhaps you have an idea how how how. God give us just uh, able, we are able to help, you know? I have no other, is it a question? Can you do something with this, why?
1: Well, it helped me remember that how hard I worked to send my oldest son to college and to medical school. Mm. I worked so hard to get the money up to send him and really wanted him to become a doctor. And he did, and he became a big time doctor and he start making more money than I did. And I felt jealous. How can you get jealous of your son making more money <laughs> when you spent, worked so hard to help him get there? <laughs> Just a thought and a feeling. And it's uh, if I observe it, It has no power. So every time you have that reaction to your member, instead of judging the reaction, you start learning to laugh. Oh, there's that thought again. (laughs) There's that feeling again. And you become what my sponsor told me, you can't see the clown. I laugh at a clown. I'm a clown. You yeah. know? Gotta remind everyone. I've had this for over 35 years. He wanted me to remember I'm a clown, and you laugh at clowns. I do crazy antics. It was so great, Jolie shared. I remember doing what he shared. (laughs) We do this stuff, didn't matter, people could see, we could have gotten arrested. (laughs) They're crazy antics, not from badness. It's from what our illness does, it is how it manifests. And that's why we connect. It's when you see people in Iran and Egypt and Israel and Europe and America and South America from every religion having the same stuff, you have to know it's a disease. It's not everyone has it. Most people don't masturbate in their car. Certain people do. Most people can drink alcohol. I cannot drink alcohol successfully. I'm an alcoholic. It's so simple. Okay. Next question.
2: Go ahead,
4: Shy. Shy. Yes, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, my question is, um, you, your story was about having some plans and then they didn't work out. Um, it happened to me many times, but then your story goes on and then you figure out, or you think you figured out. What was uh, the real plan, and you were very happy about it. Most of the times for me, um, I don't understand God's plans. There's no other person I help in the in the other situation I found myself in. So how how do I um, how can I react to that? How what lesson can I have from from such an experience? Thank you. I hope it was clear. Yes.
1: You're talking about someone, me, who's been brainwashed for 36 years. Okay? I've let myself be brainwashed. So what is the brainwashing? The brainwashing is to find gratitude in everything. My sponsor wouldn't say it quite like that. He'd say, how do you make fertilizer out of manure? I mean, cow crap, and you make fertilizer out of it to grow things. How's that done? Well, that's what we do each day. That's part of, for me, the spiritual awakening to see what I couldn't see, what I was blinded to. Amazing Grace says it beautifully, the song. I was blind and then I could see. We're blind. So let me tell you this. I'm a love cripple, and so it's hard for me to know I'm being loved. Well, about 19 years ago, I went blind on my right eye. I needed six operations, never really corrected it but I had to lay on my stomach for weeks, all kinds of things in recovery. And a few years later, all of a sudden it dawned on me, Harvey, your wife took care of you through six surgeries, did everything for you, maybe, She really loves you. It took me going blind to see she loved me. Amazing grace. How sweet you are. I was blind and now I could see. This disease blinds us. And how do we get around the blindness? We don't listen to our brain and we call our sponsor or the people in the program. You know, I said this many, many weeks ago. I think I shared this a guy who has over 30 years of sobriety now, I'm sure I shared it. And early on in my sobriety, he'd call and say, is this my Aborigine? Now, for those who don't know, an Aborigine is a person in Australia who lives in the outback that you are pictures sometimes, you know, walking with uh, sandals or whatever, um, whatever the stereotype we've been given. And I get so annoyed at him for calling me an Aborigine. Finally, I said, why do you call me an Aborigine every time you call me? He says, well, I figured this. If I had a problem, And I went to the furthest outback in Australia, and some Aborigine was walking down this dusty road. If I asked him to help me with this problem, he would help me better than I could help myself. What could we lose asking our sponsors? We screw it up all the time listening to our brain. At least we have a chance with someone who's not involved in the situation to give us a little more perspective on, on it. Next question.
2: Go ahead, Ilya. Ilya, we can't hear you. Can
0: can you guys hear me?
2: Yes, go ahead.
0: Oh, sorry about that. Uh, Thank you guys for your service, and it's really helpful. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone involved, Harvey, and and everyone else. My question is, if someone's story is um, not of recovery, like your story was you thought you had to share your experience in one place, God wanted you to share it in another place. What if someone whose story is not recovery but a relapse, would you say that's also God's, you know, um, providence or message or that's just one person maybe has to work a little harder, not trying hard enough, things like that. So that's my question. hope it's clear.
1: The day we figure out what causes chronic relapse, please teach me. I've never been able to figure it out. Uh, People have different paths, and uh, I don't understand some of the paths, but all I know is no matter who it is, if they keep coming back, over the years, you do see changes in them. Their spiritual path is just maybe different than someone else's. Uh, my path had no leeway. I was so sick and my disease so advanced by the time I was 44. Uh, but I'd say, the, you know, let me reword it. First of all, I think every time we say, but for the grace of God, it's the biggest bullshit I've ever heard. We all are so programmed to use that concept, but for the grace of God. Let me explain this. So does that mean if I got grace to stay sober without a relapse, Does that mean God loves me more than he loves a person who relapses? Oh, crap. Oh, crap. God doesn't love me anymore and that he loves someone else, whatever that means. So how do I see it? This is how the child in me sees it. But I need some child pictures for me every now and then. I see God sitting there with all these giant bags of gifts. All these bags of gifts. But each bag is a different gift. But everyone gets equal gifts. Everyone gets a gift. They're not the same gift. I did not get the gift of good parents. That was not the bag God picked out from. But I got a heck of a good wife. I got that gift. I think the same thing applies in recovery. Some people get the gift of recovery. But I did not get the gift. I've had 13 stents and open heart surgery. (laughs) I've gone blind. I didn't get that gift. I got another gift. We all get gifts. But why do I get so upset with people saying, I'm sober today for the because of the grace of God. You're sober today because for twenty-four hours you decided not to touch your genitalia. Don't expect God to pull your hand away from your genitalia. God's gift to all of us was to bring us to the program. What we do with that gift is our own own issue. The grace was given to us to come to this program. What more do we want? You want God to keep keep you sober? No. If you don't work your butt off, You're not going to be sober today. And what does working your butt off mean? It says it in the first five paragraphs of chapter five. We had to be honest with ourselves. We had to let go of old ideas. Half measures did not give us a half. It even says God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. If you stand naked in front of a mirror, don't expect not to masturbate. Now someone's gonna say to me, well, isn't that self-will to say, I'm not gonna stand in front of a mirror so I won't masturbate. No, it's that you know you have a problem with it. So before you take a shower, You call your sponsor and you say, I'm going to check in and not for the next 10 minutes look at my naked body in the mirror if that's a stimulus for you. And then you call them, we call it bookending. You call them when you get out of the shower. AA says it beautifully, and you've heard me say this on this program before on this these talks in aa they say god is so powerful so omnipotent so omniscient that if you take a recovering alcoholic and he takes an empty he takes a full bottle of liquor takes the top off and puts it to his mouth God is so powerful; he could knock that bat, bottle out of his hands, but statistically, he doesn't do that. On that damper note, <laughs> who, has, who dares to ask the next question? <laughs>
6: Go ahead, Mikhail. Um, hey, Arby. Um, yeah, first of all, super, super uh, appreciative for this this whole series. It's been an awesome, awesome journey. I haven't been here for all of them, but it's really been fantastic. Um, I wanted to ask you, and this is, I guess, only somewhat related to the topic tonight, but so I understand the perspective that sort of whatever comes my way, things things are not working out, and I've got to accept that, and I've just got, to, got to trust God and trust the process and all that. So. I understand that's all good for me, but I, I I spend a lot of time on the phone in our, our local fellowship here, and I talk to a lot of people who are in really really tough situations, and it's like, I mean, acceptance is the solution to all my problems today, but at least at least I hope I'm at a point where I understand that it's I can't tell somebody else that like you know they I guess you know I'm, you know, I'm sorry that you know that you're you know uh, whatever 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 the details of, the, of these various really horrible cases are, whether it's because of the sexual addictions or not, or generally just people's life, people go through a lot of really difficult times. I can't feel like I can't quite tell or I feel like it's not rather is it, is it insensitive to just go to somebody and say I think you really just have to accept the situation I'm sorry it's hard to remember you just have to accept it like I also understand sometimes it's not very helpful to just spout advice at people if it's if it's unwanted um so on the other hand I guess my question is it's it's really hard to sit there and just be silent like wow it's a tough situation man and just and just leave it at that like I'm sure you get a lot you talk to a lot of people over your your time in the program who are going through really really tough times and just how do you, I guess, I guess this is less of a question more just. I'd be really interested to in hear your experience on speak, speaking to people who are going through really tough times and i listening to that, I guess, helpfully and compassionately, but um, when there's not much I can do about it, um, like how, do, how do you deal with people who are going through really tough situations who just call you and just deal with them in a, in a, in a helpful manner, but I, uh, I guess I'd be, I'd be really interested in hearing how you interact with people who are going through difficult situations. The most
1: difficult person I have to work with is me. So when crap happens in my life, what do I do? I could either keep calling everyone, telling them the problem, or I could share it once with my sponsor and then switch into my gratitude list. We get so busy with the momentary crisis that we forget we're alive to even experience the crisis. Now, for those of you who don't do a daily gratitude list, I can't tell you the life-changing experience that is. I do 30 things, I count on my fingers, did 20 for years and upped it about five, six years ago to 30 every morning as soon as I wake up because I'm a downer. I used to wake up in total fear. Now I wake up and I do my gratitude list and it blocks the automatic fear. All of us are alive today, not dead from COVID yet. And do you know if it weren't for COVID, we wouldn't be meeting each other through Zoom. SA and 12-step programs will never be the same again. We have gone into a new dimension. We have morning meetings, even though I live in Naples, I go to the Nashville Zoom meetings. And the other day, this woman was sharing elegant, just lovely share. All of a sudden, she said, I'm from East Africa. <laughs> She's now part of our Nashville community. <laughs> and you want to talk about a God concept. Wow. If we could do this with Zoom, can you imagine what a being that is outside of time and space could do? <laughs> we could watch up to 50 people at a time. <laughs> now, every now and then, my brain says, yeah, but it would be great for. Having people have sex over the phone, you can have orgies with Zoom. That's where my brain still goes every now and then. But you know what? It comes in and I laugh. Oh, there's one of those aberrant thoughts again, Harvey. And let it go. Everything has a negative or a positive charge. It's the universe. Protons, electrons, cellular, positive, negative to make things go through cells. Well, the telephone can be used for sex calls or it could be used to call your sponsor. Same instrument. It's what is my attitude that day? What is my intent? And be careful if I talk too much about God. I I don't even believe most of the time in the Old classic God, I was taught. No, I've had to find a God of my understanding of this program that is very different than the every few years it changes. (laughs) And I'm 81, and pretty soon, who knows? (laughs) I'll know if I'm right or I'll know if I'm wrong. (laughs) by the way I don't notice I laugh a lot but of all the responses I get from these is that people are sensing the joy of recovery that this is not uh, a funeral parlor, this is not, <laughs> we're not cadavers, we're not in hell yet. <laughs> we're pioneers, no one's done this before. Each of us are pioneers in the crucible of our experience. And talking about relapse, Our founder had a relapse after a year and a half and went down dramatically, messed up his life dramatically. But from that relapse came this phenomenal program. And he stayed sober for the rest of the years. The greatest thing for me has been The realization of all I don't know, not what I know. Each day is an adventure learning something new. Today, I had my ring appraised this morning for insurance, uh, ring I wear, and the woman and I were talking, and my wife was there, and we talked about South Korean soap operas, and she mentioned she comes from Poland. And she I said, "Where are you from?" She said, "Brussels." <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I've been there." And man, we just had such a communication. And I knew its history because we were there. I went to speak in the area. Every moment is an adventure. But if we're locked up in our bathroom masturbating or watching pornography (laughs) till we can't hardly see on the computer, it's hard seeing the world outside. And yet we're addicted. And it's so uncomfortable, there's a body signaling us that we're dying when you go through withdrawal. It's a very uncomfortable detox. And many people cannot go through the detox. And they'll relapse the same time, either once a week or once a month, once every few months, and they're having problems facing, it's a drug addiction, and they're going through withdrawal. So simple, most people can't get it. Next question, please.
7: Uh, Go ahead, Tom F. Hey, Harvey, Uh, Tom F. here, grateful, Recovering Sexaholic. Um, I wanted to ask you, first of all, grateful for the shares and grateful for your insight. I feel like I've been listening to you recordings for so long that I'm almost, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, But I I wanted to ask you um, your experience about loving on a sexaholic in your family. I I have an older brother who's an addict and um, he actually brought me to the rooms. He was working the program maybe two years ago and he stopped doing it. Thinks it's ridiculous now, or he just, he's not interested in that anymore. Now I'm, I'm in it trying to do a 90 and 90. And I wanted to ask you, your experience and and just your insight on how you go about, uh, or what have you heard uh, from people that have have an addict in their family and and uh, trying to love on them, trying to be there, be present, show the same kind of things that I've been learning the gratitude and uh, and not be imposing. So uh, appreciate any insight and thanks for letting me share.
1: Sure. I couldn't do it. I needed two two years of on couldn't do it. Three of my sons are in recovery, and I just couldn't do it. I needed a fellowship. And AANSA can't do it for you. Dealing with other addicts uh, requires a group of people who have that as their primary Primary concern, primary focus. Um, If you're not careful, like anything when people are drowning, they will pull you down with them. So you have to learn like a lifeguard how to go in if you want to help someone. And when my son was dying in college, getting suicidal and he called me for money, this goes back 30 years ago, I was at an Al-Anon meeting once and this very wealthy woman was there and it was Thanksgiving And her daughter was arrested and in jail. And she called her mother, Mom, please bail me out so I could come for Thanksgiving dinner. And her mother said, Honey, I love you so much that I can't bail you out. You can't come for Thanksgiving. So some days, weeks later, my son called for money and I was able to say, son, I love you so much. I can't give you any money. But if you want to go to treatment, I'll help you out to go to treatment. And finally, one day he said, I'm ready, dad. But it's football season. I'll have to wait till after football season. And, but he went, and he's been sober now over 30 years, I would imagine. So letting go and letting God is not an easy job. One more question, then we're going to end. And as you know, I leave it open for another half hour for questions for people who want to, but like to keep this as an hour meeting for those who are late at night or whatever. One more question, please.
2: Go ahead, Sona.
8: Thank you so much. Hi, Harvey. Um, uh, Harvey, as an addict, as an as a sex addict and a physician, what's your advice when uh, some sex uh, one sex addict gets uh, suicidal too frequently? You know, I get suicidal now and then, uh, as I told you before, uh, I'm bipolar. And I found no reason why I, uh, my mind departs me, you know, leaves me. And I, uh, uh, it's so awful moments. Uh, I can't do anything. And it's so bitter moments. Uh, what's your advice for this uh, f- sort of feelings?
1: I'll tell you what I tell everyone. If you're bipolar, you need to treat your psychiatrist as importantly, as your sponsor. And you're not to bring to your sponsor things that your sponsor cannot help your chemical imbalance, only your psychiatrist can. And that's what the big book tells us. That we need to seek out other types of issues for certain things. And bipolar is a medical condition, and it's dealt with, with your psychiatrist.
8: For that exact moment of suicidal feeling, to get rid of it could, away from it to to be able to think properly?
1: Well, I don't know how this program works. I just know it works. So I come back one day at a time. I do my steps, call my sponsor do my gratitude list, do the same thing every day, do my readings. I have no idea how the program works. It just does. And the book tells us that as long as we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't matter how much you have mental problems, you could still recover. It says it in the first paragraph of chapter five. But it says, if you're not honest with yourself, you won't get the program. But if you have severe mental problems and are honest with yourself, you will get the pro- program. So it's all in the book. And so thank you. You're here every time. Really appreciate you joining us, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Hey, Carl, hi. <laughs> okay, we're going to end with some deep breathing. I wanna reannounce that Malcolm, over the next four weeks, three to four weeks, I will not be doing this, but Malcolm will be having us this, but an hour earlier, so people in Europe and Asia could go to bed earlier and he's going to do three to four weeks on meditation. And for those of you who were lucky enough to experience his SIM talk and what he did with us on the marathon, you'll rush back to hear him next week. And um, we'll be sending out emails about it. And um, I uh, okay. So let's do some deep breathing, and end with the Serenity Prayer. Serenity, prayer, God.
9: Let me just run it here. It looks up the same. I cannot change. Cannot change? <laughs> Encourage.
6: changed. But um that I can. Like that. Okay. The one to I know the
0: difference. I won't uh, yeah.
6: yeah, be done. done.
0: Uh,
1: thank you everyone. By the way, my ego. I not
6: want to let go of this. My number
1: is coming in.
6: Mm-hmm. Thank
1: goodness I'm able to let go. And thank goodness we're going to have Malcolm uh, working with us. So thanks for being here for me. And it's been a real special thing for me. Thank you. Okay, any more questions for those who are remaining?
2: So, yeah, there was a question that uh, someone wrote in. Um, They were going to ask it, but they said they're going to text it. Um, I'm so thankful for the past 12 weeks. You said a few minutes ago that you didn't go through every single low-bottom thing. If you didn't go through all that low-bottom stuff, then you'd not be ready for this life. And that kind of reminded me of the thought that visits me frequently, is that I think of myself as a high-bottom, and I'm young. So maybe I could go out there again and be ready for recovery when I get back
1: um Daniel if you didn't have a low bottom for you you wouldn't be here no everyone has their own low bottom they're all not the same in aa we refer to it of the elevator being down in the basement and it's what le- sublevel of the basement underground you want to get off you know. But none of us get here by accident.
2: <laughs> it's and, just relative. One person's low bottom is another person's high bottom is another person. It's got nothing to do with, you know, it's the same thing that lust is personal for all of us. You know, I can't compare one person's acting out from my acting out. They're, they're incomparable.
1: Yes, but it was low-bottom for me. Right. My sponsor would also use another term, low-life living. It's not a real high level of living we were living in, meaning we were living in secrets. You know, if you can't tell your children or your wife, what you're doing, that's hard to live with, that's a real double life. And that in itself is a bottom, living in secrets. Any
9: other questions?
2: Yeah, go ahead, Dave.
9: Hi, Harvey. It's wonderful to be here. Talks every week. Try a- not to move
2: the microphone around because you know, you're adding feedback. Go ahead.
9: Okay. Uh, is it better now? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now we lost you.
9: Yeah. I'll, okay, stop. I'll talk straight to the microphone. Uh, so, Harvey, my question is um, if my head tells me a lie, and I believe that lie, what can I do? i explain. My head tells me that if I don't have sex with a very young and beautiful woman, I will hang on to this fantasy for the rest of my life and I cannot recover or continue uh, with my life until I do that. And the problem is I believe him, I believe my head. So what can I do if you have any advice?
1: Yeah, if it's working for you, go for it. Apparently, it's not working for you, or you wouldn't be on this call. So, how can you believe a brain that's not working for you? If it's working for you, you wouldn't be here. There's no crime in what you're describing. There's no crime in masturbating, but I can't do it successfully. I have an allergy to lust. I cannot successfully have motion pictures in my head. Pornographic motion pictures. But nothing's wrong with it. I just can't do it successfully. I cannot drink alcohol successfully. Yet, even in religions, they use alcohol. And this is letting go of old ideas, which is a very difficult concept. That there's nothing wrong with this. I just can't do it successfully, because I have a disease. I have a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. I was born this way. And I really like your question on another level. I can't trust my thinking for any thought. See, you're trusting your thinking about these gowns not because you're trusting your thinking about these gowns. You're trusting your thinking, period. And my best thinking screwed me up. AA says it so magnificently. Don't drink, don't think, and go to meetings. Now, am I thinking? You're going to say, what the hell is this guy talking about? What, does he want me to be a robot? I shouldn't think. Am I thinking now? How could I be sharing on questions that I haven't prepared for? It can't be coming from thinking. It's coming from a place in me That is spontaneous. My true self. And in the big book, they call it our intuitive self. The next right thing. My sponsor was so good about this, Cherry, back years ago. He said, no matter how good the thought begins that you have, it will always end in a negative negative. and test it out. No matter how great you begin the thought, something tends to turn it around and it ends up in a negative. Uh, I've really been letting go of thinking. And so when a spontaneous thought comes up, I don't pursue the thought. I immediately do what my thought just said. So yesterday, one of my, my oldest son is very distant and isn't very, Emotionally connecting. He's about 57 now and very busy guy. And if he says two words to me, a lot of times it's a lot. And I'm meditating and all of a sudden, I was relaxing, not meditating at the time. I said, write him a text. Those words came out. I immediately wrote, thinking of you, I love you. That's it, no expectations. I got back something, thank you. I really needed this today. First time he's ever shared from a feeling level. I can't remember when he's done it. Why? But I responded from my, what do you call it? Karma, energy, God, whatever we want to call it. But my thinking will block it. No, Harvey, he's busy. Don't bother him. He tends not to respond to you anyway. You're going to get angry at him if he doesn't respond. All these thoughts start pouring in if I'm not careful. By thinking. Now, what does the big book and AA especially tell us? They say, don't lecture people. Don't have to overthink this. Just share your experience, strength, and hope. That's all we do here. We tell stories. We share our experience, strength, and hope. Every now and then, I'll get into a little lecture mode. (laughs) But I try to pull it back to sharing my experience, strength at home. That's why I'm always telling you personal stories.
9: So how do you know when to react with taking your thoughts into action and when to let them pass and ignore them?
1: I don't think you could... we could tell you, I think, the process of work of utilizing the steps over and over does some automatic stuff in our brains. And you really, as I've shared before, many people who come to SA come from a lot of times fundamentalist backgrounds, whatever religion. And that it's very hard for them to go into the 11th step in depth. They stop at prayer. It's through meditation that you learn to observe your brain and not participate in your brain. And it's not done by going in and saying, I'm going to meditate and my thoughts are going to go away. Or I'm going to feel better. No, that's not meditation. Meditation's a process of learning, a process to observe your thoughts. And then immediately trying to do something like concentrating on your breath. but not, not thinking. A guy in AA, I quote a lot of AA this, regretfully in essay, we don't have the years and years of this oral wisdom. We just don't. Yet yeah, we will as we go on. And he was a very famous. He was this big star football player. He was a big songwriter, successful singer made lots of money, sharp-looking guy, and he sat in the room and he'd say to us, if I just think one more minute on this subject, I'll turn the corner and figure it out. I just need one more minute (coughs) to think. That's what we do. If I just think about it a moment more, I'm going to find the solution." No, we just end up thinking about it and going in, getting, as Tona was saying, getting emotions, getting feelings. Feelings come from thought. <laughs> so if you're not thinking about it, you're not going to feel it. Where does anger come from? <laughs> you got to relive the thought that you're angry at the person then you feel it now why this is a discovery I made recently for me why is it important for me to be aware of these things because Somehow, when you don't participate in them, you're just aware of them. The result is a joy. The joy of living is our theme. Okay, next question.
2: So we have a question from Guy, and then we've got Paul, and then Benedict. Go ahead, Guy.
9: Hi, RV. I hope you can hear me well. I'm driving. I'm sorry. Um, I know. I know we should focus on ourselves and the program and our recovery, but you're talking about your children a couple of times this 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 talk, and uh, I just wonder if there's anything we can do as parents to protect our children from, from, you know, becoming uh, addicts, sexaholics or whatever. If you have any, any, any experience in that. You'll become world famous.
1: If you could ever figure that one out, Uh, (laughs) it's now down into my grandchild. Oh my God. My grandfather had it. My father, my brother, Me, three of my four sons, and now my grandkid. Now, she's been in one treatment center after another. She now lives three years recovery. But what have we given them? We've given them this gift of there's an answer. Yeah. So... We can't stop someone from getting high blood pressure if it runs in the family. But we could say, hey, I know a good doctor I went to and he really helped my blood pressure. So as you know, I've said in the past, Nancy and I will tell people uh, in recovery, don't waste your money saving money for the kids' colleges. Save it for their treatment centers. (laughs) Now, what does Avalon teach us? We didn't cause it. The three C's. We didn't cause it. We can't control it. Help me with the third one. I'll cure it. And we can't cure it. Cure it. Carry. Do you know how hard it is for me to admit I forgot something and then ask? So difficult. <laughs> and the other day I was on an AA meeting and this Christian woman who was, has said it all her life, she said it. She went to a Catholic school. She was leading us in the Lord's Prayer. And she forgot it halfway in, This on Zoom, it's kind of numbed out. So only she was hurt and she couldn't remember after half of it. <laughs> and the group just laughed, Miss, we've all been through things like that. But in recovery, we learn to ask for help. And what is the process? It's humility. We learn humility. That we can't possibly be perfect or we'd be gone and that we need help. Okay, next one.
2: Lots, lots of hands coming up, so depending on the time, we'll have to go a little quicker. Go ahead, Paul.
9: Yeah, hi, hi Arvi. Thank you for that. I, I was wondering uh, if you have any advice if somebody is a priest, is a minister, you know, and but and feels like this job as a priest uh, interferes with sobriety a lot due to stress, due to situations. Uh, do you have any experience on that? Do you know any no, examples around that? I don't understand who's interfering. The 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 job as a priest,
2: the priesthood inter, interferes with the sobriety. His job as a priest. Yeah, he's saying don't go to 12-step recovery. No, he's saying that his, his employment as a, as a priest interferes okay. with his 12-step recovery. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, your job
1: as a priest didn't interfere with you sexually acting out. So why should it interfere with your recovery? Now I'll give you experience, strength, and hope. I sponsored a Jesuit priest for 10 years. What did he do as, as a priest? He went and helped other priests in recovery. That's the type of parish he had. That was his congregation. And he finally retired, wonderfully, one of the most spiritual men I've ever met. And he retired, not from the priesthood, but retired from what he was doing. And he decided this. He was of Irish descent. He decided to go to Ireland to kind of help recovery people. And it just didn't fit. He ended up going to Uganda and working for years, helping African priests with recovery. Sexaholism and alcoholism. And that might be why you're even in the priesthood, that you're... You're meant to be the light to help other people. It doesn't matter what religion you're in. If you're rabbis, imams, priests, you name it, a certain proportion of everyone are sex addicts, just like a certain proportion are alcoholics. It's a known number. In alcoholism, it's 10% have the genetic makeup for it. Now, in my case, I was a helping professional. And it could have just destroyed my life in Nashville as a professional. But I had no choice. I needed to help others in recovery. And somehow, it worked. What country are you in? Romania, oh, Romania. Romania. Well, there is one of the f- founders of SA in Jerusalem and Israel was a priest.
2: Is a priest. He
1: is a priest. So oh, he, thank goodness, still there. Yeah. So you need to get in touch. Touch with him if you haven't, because you're never alone in this program. We're never alone again. And maybe Daniel could hook you two up so you could ask him this question. He's helped so many people.
2: There's
1: a man in England who's very involved with the church, who spends lots of time with, with clergy and all, who could help. So Daniel could hook you up with some of these numbers.
2: Yeah, I sent you my number, Paul. You can contact me and I'll send you those, those are priests.
9: Yeah, thank you, thank you.
1: I want to compliment you. It touches my heart how courageous you are and brave to have shared it with
9: us. Well, maybe I'm just desperate.
1: That's okay, too. <laughs> we don't care why, you just did it, okay? But pat yourself on the back, you are also courageous, okay? <laughs> it's so hard to get us to compliment ourselves. Very difficult. That's why we need gratitude lists. Okay. I think there was Benedict, was he to ask a question?
2: Benedict's
9: next.
10: Okay. Yes. Thank you, Harvey. Thank you, Daniel, for your sharing, for your support. Um, Yeah, Uh, Benedict SA Germany, um how i I was wondering um I came to the program uh, by my father uh five years ago uh he told me about his addiction and um yeah um the first couple of months, I struggled with the fact and then I realized that i have there there were some parallels in my life and in his life and my and through the program actually, I realized that this is really a um yeah, an addiction, and that I'm sick. Um, and well, I'm still kind of struggling that my father is, is father is in the program. So um, sometimes we're sitting in the same meeting, um, uh, and I still have some some resentments. And, and I was wondering if you have some some uh, experience, strength, hope regarding the the fact that your yeah some of your family members are in the program as well. Thank you.
3: Yes,
1: I do. Um, I'd ask them for, uh, to split the meeting when you're both there and go into a separate group with another group. Um, I had that happen with a lot of times with patients I had seen. And I medically... And I would ask for the room to be split. Why? Selfish. It wasn't that I didn't want them to hear it because I would get them other doctors anyway. It was because I was afraid I wouldn't be as honest. That I guard what I was saying. And I can't risk that. Eventually, over the years, years go by and you don't even know the person's there, kind of things change. But it it, it wouldn't be, in my opinion, the best way, both in the same meeting. But that's just my opinion, because I'm afraid I wouldn't be honest enough. So you just say to the group, I appreciate since my dad's here and that it might be easier if this meeting, we could break out. Nashville, we, we always break out. We have three meetings at least in a meeting. You know, because we usually get about 30 people if you, um, you know. And if they don't want to. You don't end up getting angry at them if you can help it, even though you will. uh, You'll say, at least can one or two people go out with me Mm -hmm. to another room. The other thing now is you have Zoom meetings that you could attend all over and become part of the meeting where no one even knows you're not from that community. Okay. But our thinking magnifies the problem and then it's hard for us to get into the solution. I think I saw Kyle raise his hand.
2: Yeah. yeah. Hey, Kyle. Kyle?
9: Yeah. Hi. Hi, Harvey. How you doing? Good to see you and hear you as well. Really, really, really enjoyed it. And the last few weeks as well. Um, yeah just you mentioned there like that that it's like the body when you're trying to withdraw the body gives us a signal the body's going to give your brain a signal that you're going to die if you get it and um i identified with that because when i when i stopped looking like i was down in the store or out in public and for the first couple of years when i wouldn't look i'd feel i'm i'd feel i'm going to stop breathing like i just go I need to breathe. If I look, I'll, I'll, I'll be saved. You know, I'll be okay. If I look, if I take a look, drink, it's like I won't suffocate or something. There was a very strong feeling with that. So it makes a lot of sense. i just wonder why is, the, why does the body do that? It's a hypothalamus.
1: The disease affects our limbic system. It's our survivor brain. Mm. All kinds of addictions are located in one spot and it's a reptilian brain and it's a survivor brain, it's an automatic brain. And so we actually get a subliminal death experience.
10: Mm.
1: So that's why how lower animals can survive. They get an experience and then they move away from the pain or something. But it's a um, a, a real, real life problem. And most people, uh, my experience was uh, I was sober many, many months. And these two handsome men were walking towards me. And... Um, As you know, you all have it easy, most of you. It's just one sex. I got problems with both sexes. (laughs) So (laughs) these two handsome men were walking towards me. And I said, I got to take a second look. Got to take a second look. And I said, but you know, if you take a second look, you'll start following them. And I said, but i got to take a second look. And then my brain said, if you don't take a second look, they could be robbers. And from behind you, they could knock you out and rob you of your wallet. And then all of a sudden in me, I said, that could happen. And they could kill me, but I can't go back the old way. Looking back at it, I faced the death experience. It became conscious they could kill me, but it was really my body saying, You're gonna die. And I had to be willing to die. To die at that moment. The prayer of St. Francis says it all. We die to everlasting life. We got to die to our disease. It's a true physiological death. But it doesn't kill us. But the brain tells us it will kill us. And with enough of these death experiences, you realize it's a lie that you're not going to die from it. So it's easier to make the surrenders.
9: Okay?